So I found so hard, the employees wanna find me And then wanna hire me What's 100k to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Found so hard, this ain't easy Working late nights, you best believe me My grades can only go ace Never wanna see another B unless I'm Jay-Z Found so hard, let's get paid Welcome guys to another episode of Farm So Hard. Today we have the opposite side of the question of what you do when we have to reverse anti-10A inhibitors such as Eliquis and Zerelto. Today I'm joined by a special guest, so go ahead and introduce yourself for the audience. My name is Gary Pexa and I'm an emergency medicine pharmacist practicing out of Rush University Medical Center over in Chicago, Illinois. For some of you guys are turning in for the first time, I am your host, Jimmy Pruitt. I'm an emergency medicine pharmacist. So there's a lot of talk right now, especially a few months ago when the Indexa 4 trial came out about Indexnet Alpha or the new name or Indexa. Give us a, a background of what this drug is and currently what are you doing at your institution when patients come in sick, have a bleed, and they need to be reversed? Sounds good. So andexanid alpha, it's a modified recombinant inactive form of human factor 10A. Basically, what it does is you inject it into the bloodstream, and it's going to be a MOC10A that factor 10A inhibitors are going to then bind to. It's used for reversal of 10A inhibitors. Specifically, it's FDA approved for rivaroxaban reversal as well as apixaban reversal. And presently at Rush University Medical Center, we reviewed it for formulary addition, but have not added it to our formulary. I do preface it with, we reviewed it for formulary addition after the Annexa 4 trial came out and before the full study report of Andexanid Alpha came out. So I do put that disclaimer on there. However, we still have not re-reviewed it for addition at this time. Perfect. And then for the same thing for us, we're currently reviewing it uh, at our institution. However, there's a lot of information that we now have that we a lot of people didn't have, you know, four or five, six months ago. So we're trying to make sure we kind of look at it with a very close eye and figure out what's going to be the next step for us. So moving forward, as far as like what was everyone else doing before the invention of, you know, indexed alpha, a lot of people was using four-factor PCC or prothrombin conflict concentrate. What's the current practice for you guys right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's one of those things that I feel like has really developed as a therapy because there was not anything approved or available as the recommended therapy. So a lot of the use now is using four-factor prothrombin concentrates for reversal of these direct oral anticoagulants or the 10A inhibitors. And in theory, they should lead to basically thrombin formation by the injection of all these different factor concentrates. So it's never been studied in a randomized controlled trial. They're currently not FDA approved for that. However, it became the therapy of choice based on the best available drugs that we had mechanistically for trying to treat a bleeding episode from a 10A inhibitor drug. Perfect. So are you guys doing the weight base? Are you guys doing fixed dose? That's a different topic, but what are you guys practice right now? Yeah, so that's a great question. We do 50 units per kilo, um, which I think was some of the more preliminary types of studies and on the higher end of dosing for the four-factor PCCs. Now, specifically, we use Kcentra here in the United States, of course. However, uh, I am definitely aware that there are some studies that have looked at using reduced doses of 25 units per kilo, as well as some studies that have looked specifically at using flat dosing of 2,000 units per kilo. So we still do the full dose of 50 units per kilo right now. 
but it's something that we're always actively monitoring. And we have a great EM pharmacist that also does some stuff with hemophilia drugs here and factor concentrates. And he's always reevaluating. And I believe he's currently in the process of reevaluating. Perfect. And I think the key thing a lot of people have a, a problem with when looking at Indexa is, is the cost. That's what's kind of raising a lot of the eyebrows. And one thing you did a great job of, especially on Twitter, was you kind of blinded all of the drugs that was previously previous used and studied. And you kind of gave like a product A, B, C, D and kind of let everyone pick which product they would use. Can you just briefly give the audience that wasn't able to kind of view that kind of an overview of what that post was and kind of what kind of led you to that? Yeah. So I think that what kind of led me to it is when I sit down and I look at the data that's best available from the use of four-factor PCCs for reversal of warfarin and what that percentage reversal is of the judgment of good hemostatic or excellent hemostatic efficacy. And then I look at the trials for Andexin and Alpha, and I look at what are some of the numbers that we saw there for good or excellent reversal. And then similarly, I look at what happened with Idarisuzumab, which is the antidote reversal for dabigatran. And when I look at these numbers and I put them on paper and I, what I did was I made a table and blinded it on Twitter, the numbers are just very similar across the board in my opinion. So all that being said, if we take cost out of the thought process or out of the scenario, which I'm not saying that we shouldn't take it into consideration, but taking it out of consideration completely and just looking blindly at the numbers, it seems to me like you're seeing a similar efficacy and reversal that you would with some of the other agents and their respective antidotes or the antidotes for other agents. And it's just, it was a great thing because I went through and I, I clicked on everything. And I was like, you know, this, this seems like, you know, the perfect drug. And I went through the whole thing and with me not having a a true light for Indexa right now, just due to the cost, I end up choosing it based off the data. So I think a lot of individuals, if they go through and take that quiz, I think you would be a lot more surprised than usual than you expect when looking at the different drugs. So we'll get to the study in a little bit, but as far as what the guidelines are saying, there's been a few updates recently to what the guidelines are, are saying to use. So can you give the audience a kind of an overview of what the, the current guidelines are saying when using Indexa or four-factor PCC? Yeah, so the most recent recommendation that I have seen come out is specifically from Anticoagulation Forum, which is a North American organization of anticoagulation providers. And that came out in February of this year, 2019. And they do a nice review of all the literature that they're able to find. And specifically what they conclude for the reversal of 10A uh, inhibitor medications is that there are two prospective trials that have been done analyzing four-factor PCCs for reversal of those agents, as well as the clinical trials that got Andexin at Alpha, which were prospective trials that looked at their reversal for 10A inhibitors. And what they conclude actually is based on the literature that the Andexin at Alpha trials, which are got it FDA approval is the recommended reversal agent of choice. However, they state that using four-factor PCC is a reasonable option. So it seems like the things are getting pushed that way. And one of the things that one of my trauma surgeons actually told me was that people are scared to not add the formulary due to legal issues. Kind of what's your comment on that? You know, I hear that a lot. However, my general thought process on that is if you have an organizational PNT committee 
or other committee that's reviewing your policies and guidelines, and the committee has objectively reviewed the data and said, this is how we are going to practice as a facility, then I think that that is a coverage from that legal perspective. Specifically, you can look around at some hospitals where we know that, you know, providing factors for hemophiliac patients is like a standard of care. But there are institutions that definitely do not stock hemophiliac products because that's not part of their population and they could be very expensive. Uh, We don't fault those hospitals. They don't get sued every time a hemophiliac shows up at their doorstep. So I think that as long as your institution is comfortable and has guidelines that have objectively looked at what they believe their practice should be, then I believe you are okay from that perspective. Perfect. And it's something that that people battle a lot of the time. It's like, I don't want to use the drug. I don't think it works. Or I hear all these different comments and they say, but at the end of the day, I like practicing as a provider and I want to keep my license and not get sued for for as long as I possibly can. So that's something that's- Absolutely. I'm not looking to get sued either. So So I think the big thing I think a lot of people want want to hear about, can we just, you know, go through this trial and kind of give us just a a quick summary of everything and kind of get the audience kind of on board as far as the the two studies or just the combined information from Anexa 4? Yeah, so the full cohort from Anexa 4 ultimately enrolled 254 patients in their efficacy population and 352 patients in their safety population. When they went through, they ended up enrolling a fair amount of patients that had intracranial hemorrhages, and that's because they specifically had an enrollment period where they tried to only recruit intracranial hemorrhage to enrich the study population. They had 64% intracranial hemorrhages enrolled, 26% gastrointestinal bleeds enrolled, and then 10% other types of bleeds. And ultimately, they use an effectiveness assessment that was taken from the initial trial by Sirota and colleagues that got Case Center FDA approved for warfarin reversal in the United States. And based on the effectiveness assessment that they used, they got an efficacy of excellent or good reversal for CNS bleeds of 80%. Also, then as far as safety outcomes at 30 days, they found that 10% of patients developed a thromboembolism and 14% of patients ultimately had mortality at 30 days. The main thing that I point out is, you know, I just gave some of the main statistics from the index in a trial on efficacy and what we care about as far as reversal and hemostasis. However, the main criticism or a bit large criticism of this trial is that they used a co-primary outcome, meaning that they looked at reversal of laboratory parameters and they looked at bleeding hemostasis. So ultimately, a lot of people question whether or not the primary outcome should be a measure of a laboratory value, since that's not necessarily representative of clinical outcomes. And the paper itself actually admits that reversal of these laboratory values did not correlate well with actual hemostatic efficacy. Yeah, that's the huge thing that came out. And I was very surprised that that was pointed out in, in bold letters, you know, within the study. And I think a lot of people across the FOMED community has really taken hold to that one sentence out of everything and really focused on what should we be thinking about when we hear things like this? You know, I think that um, it's definitely shocking to hear. But if we look at ultimately the data and what the outcomes were, I think that we should be more focused on those raw numbers. Really what it tells me is that 
perhaps we don't need to be looking at the laboratory values to make our decision here on what we need to be doing with 10A inhibitor management and bleeding. Yeah. And then when you, when you look at that and you hear us say, people say, it's like, well, oh, well, the same thing for PCC. And then we don't have these labs to kind of go off of. How can we kind of compare both of those? And I think the next step to all of this, I hear across the FOMED community, a lot of people are actually doing internal studies looking at Indexa versus PCC. Absolutely. I think there's going to be a lot of that going on. Well, we're very lucky here that we have some strong researchers and one of our, our neuro ICU pharmacists here is helping to do a study called Fix ICH through the Neurocritical Care Society in which there we're trying to enroll sites that have indexinate and or PCCs for reversal of 10A inhibitors and trying to do our own comparative study as well. One of the things that I bring up, you know, that that is always a criticism, like we said, was these laboratory values. But I'll play devil's advocate on the other side of the things here in that the good part is, is that by drawing these laboratory values at baseline, it's actually a nice confirmatory way of knowing that the patients were actually anticoagulated at the time of treatment. Ah. So I'm not trying to argue with, you know, the reversal of the drug that the laboratory values normalized and all this and that, but knowing that the patients that got andexinate had active drug in their body that needed to be reversed says a lot to me in terms of whether or not they needed the drug, right? We're going to go back and look at some of the four-factor PCC studies that have been done. And to my knowledge, there's only two prospectively. To my knowledge, there was no draw of blood in that fashion to say that these patients are actually anticoagulated in their bloodstream right now. It was more so off of medical history and what they could get from the patient population. Absolutely. And that's the same to my knowledge as well. Another big criticism that a good amount of people have pointed out was the mortality being, you know, elevated, especially when they specifically tried to exclude those patients that had a probable chance of mortality within one month. Can you give a comment on that? I think that's also something that we see with the Serode study that they looked at Warf or uh, PCC for warfarin reversal. And I think it's also you see with the Iderizuzumab study for dabigatran reversal. I don't think that it's an unrealistic exclusion criteria. A lot of times these studies are also excluding patients that have GCS or Glasgow Coma Scale scores less than a certain value as well, because the all-cause mortality in that patient population is so high to begin with that it's reasonable to exclude them so as not to skew the numbers and efficacy. Now, I think that what you see in practices, I don't know of many institutions, or I don't know of any institutions actually that write their guidelines as such that you know, if GCS is less than seven or eight, we are not going to offer this patient reversal. So I think it's one of those exclusion criteria that they put in the studies um, and they try to use to really judge the efficacy and safety of the drug. But it's one that maybe in practice, we're not really holding our patient population to when they're bleeding in front of us. Yeah. And that's something to really kind of consider whether, you know, it's the perfect ideal study versus what's happening in clinical practice. Because I can personally say, you know, when I'm at the bedside compounding PCC, a good amount of these patients have GCSs that's less than 14, which was the, you know, the average with this study. And I would say a large percentage of them maybe even less than 10 or seven as well. So it's something that's not necessarily ideal. I would love to see those. But again, you mentioned it very clearly that, you know, you, we, we need to make sure we don't skew the data towards those patients. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll mention too that while it's 14% and the Serode studies were more around the 5 and 6% range, if you look at some of the PCC ones, they're kind of all over the place. And a lot of it tends to be dependent on what types of bleeds are enrolling too. 
for example, um, the study by Majid and colleagues, that one specifically enrolled 70% of intracranial hemorrhages and tried to reverse it with PCC. And they reported 32% mortality at 30 days. So it was significantly higher, but it's also probably heavier in relation to the types of bleeds that they use in that study. Yeah, and that's, that's something that's key. The next thing I really want to do before we kind of close out and give summary is kind of talk about the logistics of getting this drug. There's a lot of talk about it, how long it takes to be compounded, how many vowels have to be used. Can you just give the audience a quick overview of what kind of happens behind the scene, if you can, on when the provider says, hey, I want to use this drug and how long is it going to take to actually get to the patient at that side? You know what, that's a, an absolutely a great question. However, I won't lie to you, I'm probably not the best person to ask since we don't have it on formulary. However, from my colleagues that I've talked to, it's upwards of about an hour to compound this drug, mainly because it comes in 50 milligram vials. And if you have a dose that's going to be 400 milligrams just for a bolus, you have a lot of vials to reconstitute and ultimately inject into a bag for administration. Yeah, and that's something that's always keep in mind as well. When considering this drug, these things just doesn't happen. You know, when you call a pharmacy and say, hey, I have a bleed and I need this at bedside, I would love to make it and have, you know, it there within a few minutes. But some of these drugs, you just take a while to actually compound, actually get from your head to the patient's veins. So that's something that's also difficult as well. But, you know, and let me just clarify one thing. Uh, I said 50 milligrams because that's actually the strength they used uh, in the Anexa 4 trial, mm-hmm. but they actually market them as 100 milligram vials. And I think that was something they, they were listening to the community and saying, hey, you know, this is something that's a little unreasonable and we probably need to do something to fix this. So that was a good job by the, by the manufacturer. Yeah. I'll, I mean, I'll give some final or not some final, but some other thoughts in general is, uh, you know, I have had some people come on my Twitter feeds and, um, you know, drop me some things here and there. And there was an interesting um, person who left some information of some abstracts that had been done with some in vitro data, basically looking at, you know, in vitro giving andexanate um, in reversal and giving PCCs in vitro and what type of effect that has on the laboratory markers for 10A activity. And in vitro data doesn't advocate for PCCs in their favor, mainly because there's no effect on the 10A activity. However, I would also argue the counterpoint is that in vivo or in the body, you know, we could actually lead to some formation of clotting factors and thrombin generation, whereas you may just not get that in vitro. Perfect. Yeah, that's very, it's very interesting because, you know, we start to go back and try to dig for all the day we possibly can once we have a limited amount of clinical trial data. So it's very interesting. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, another statement that I feel like it's a lot of criticism right now is that andexanate alpha is a phase four trial that was done with no comparator. And people do not like that there was no comparator in this trial, which I don't, I don't like that either. However, the only thing that I would caution is that when I talk to a lot of colleagues and I ask them, hey, how are you reversing dabigatran bleeds? Over 90% of them are typically saying that they're using idarizumab, the direct antidote. However, when I ask people how they're reversing their 10A bleeds, the answer that I typically get is that they're using four-factor PCC. So I think there's a little bit of a disconnect there in that idarizumab is another drug that was studied with no comparator and with the bigotran reversal before idarizumab came out, there was a fair amount of data in using 
PCCs, even activated prothrombin complex concentrates for reversal of dabigatran bleeds, yet people still sided with adding idarizuzumab to their formularies. Yeah. And I think just the, the last thing to tell, speaking of the cost, a lot of people are saying we're talking the average dose from what they're saying for a 70 kilo patient can range anywhere from like twenty five to fifty thousand dollars per dose. And this is going to get you through just two hours with the bolus and an infusion. This is compared to somewhat around, you know, five to seven thousand dollars when looking at case centers. Well, so when looking at the cost, these are it's pretty astronomical. But again, these are things that should change over, over time. And I'm hoping that, again, like you mentioned earlier, if we take the cost out of this, we will definitely have data that looks very similar to our Darius-ism app. So any more closing words for, for the audience? No, you know, I think that I'm not taking one side versus another here. I think that if I'm faced with, you know, a patient that's taking a 10A drug and they're bleeding and they require reversal, I think that it's reasonable to use andexanid alpha. And I think that right now it's reasonable to use four-factor PCCs. And I'm probably going to use whichever one I have available to me on the formulary at the hospital that I work at. Knowing that if they're going to be pretty similar, that cost is the major issue here. And of course, andexanid tends to be more expensive than four-factor PCCs used off-label. Perfect. Well, I definitely thank you for having Kind of having you on the show. It's been phenomenal to kind of hear all this information, especially from a different view, because we had the first podcast talking about PCC and then this one here talking about Indexa. So it kind of gives the audience kind of a view from both sides and help everyone have a really total picture when looking at reversing 10A inhibitors. So thank you again. And Thank you guys for tuning in for another episode of Farm So Hard. I have all this information and some of the more detailed things in the show notes that you can check out on the website. So thank you guys. 